Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. Rick, it's great being back. Pleasure being back. Hopefully, the uh, audio has returned to normal after our Top Golf experience. Um, I'd like the listeners to know that that was a tough one. I I, uh, I was the one in charge of the audio, so you can definitely direct your hate mail to yes. me. Although I, I, although I direct- Brenna set it up, so I don't know who. I directed who- my hate mail towards you as I was editing it, but I think it came out. Given the circumstances, it came out okay. Yes. Well, I just would also like to I mean, point out great. that you thought <laughs> you thought we wouldn't get any audio at all from the event, and right. turns out we got True. really good conversations with people that are hard to track down. You were right. Is that what you want to hear? I'm just saying okay. it would be it would be yeah. nice every once in a while to hear I did the Rick, right thing. Nice job. Oh, thanks. Strong work. I appreciate that. All right. Near impossible not to have noise in that environment. It's it's a fun out. environment with yeah. a lot of things going on. I so. had to cut out an entire like spiel from Rick because someone was just screeching in the background. Screaming, and I was yeah. like, I don't have the yeah. capability to like <laughs> to edit it. <laughs> to edit it. Yeah. So I just you eighty six it. it. Yeah. I probably said some really smart things. It was really great. I was really upset, but it was like it's too bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Um I had to make an executive. So decision. for the listeners out there who have not done that event, uh, please mark it on your calendars for next year. Probably be around the same time. Yes. I would imagine. Yes. Um, so love Second, to have you guys third out. third week, May. Yeah. Yes. So it's a good time. A lot of fun. Very low-key, which is good. Yes. Uh, so, Danny, your uh, medical society had a pretty big <laughs> fundraiser themselves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my medical society no. uh, the american society of clinical oncology yeah it was a it's a big conference in chicago every year they uh host it and i don't think it's changed for more than 10 years it's always been at the same big mccormick place in uh downtown chicago so um it's always a time of year where lots of updates come in and they talk about um updated data on certain trials that have already been done and then, you know, new data for a variety of different cancers. And um, it's not specific for clinical oncology or solid tumor oncology. It's also, there's some hematology presented at this conference. But I, I would say a majority of it is is solid tumor um, data. Um, but there were some good, uh, good reports, some really uh, probably, you know, practice-changing data that came out of it. Um, what do you think? Should we start out with the oncology side, then go into the radiation side, Rick? Are we can do whatever yeah. you prefer. What, what right. struck? What was the most interesting thing you read or saw from the conference? Well, I think you know one of the probably talks that got a lot of press that I thought was um, long awaited was to see the adjuvant um, data for EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, drug called osimertinib or Tegriso. Um, it got FDA approval um, before there was overall survival data um, in patients with non-small cell lung cancer with EGFR mutations, which is a specific activa- activating mutation that can happen um, in the cancer cells. And there are specific EGFR inhibitor pills that patients with these mutations can take to um, you know, treat the cancer independent of chemotherapy. Um, the Adora trial was done, um, let me see here, what years? I don't know. I don't have it on my abstract here, but it, it initially got reported, um, and I think the data that got reported was either progression-free or, or disease-free survival benefit. I think it's progression-free, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, yeah. 
The yeah, initial reporting. Initial report. Yeah. Progression-free survival benefit with osimertinib compared to um, placebo in patients with EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Now, this group of patients were surgical candidates, so um, anywhere from, I think, stage 1B to 3A uh, non-small cell lung cancer. They underwent surgery. They were randomized to either uh, Tegrisso or no Tegrisso, but patients were offered chemotherapy, which is standard for those at higher risk of recurrence. And um, patients underwent usually four cycles of a platinum-containing chemotherapy regimen, and then they started osimertinib. Um, Tegrisso is another name for that drug. Uh, following chemotherapy and and took it for up to one year and initially showed that there was progression-free survival benefit, meaning patients uh, lived longer without progression on the Tegrisso arm, uh, but the long-awaited survival data was what was reported at ASCO. And um, I have the abstract in front of me here. It got reported in New England Journal of Medicine because it was um, such a groundbreaking article that will lead to how we practice uh, medicine treating these non-small cell lung cancer patients. So the five-year overall survival in the patients who re received Tegrisso for one year was 85%, uh, and that's compared to 73% in the placebo group. And they broke it down in different stages, stage 1B and the stage 2 and stage 3A population. Each group seemed to benefit from Tegrisso, although most of the benefit was coming from the higher stage 2 and stage 3 population. Um, at least when you look at the st statistics and the confidence intervals, seem like the higher stages uh, benefited more. Um, but this is really even more of a, um, a reason to offer to Grisso to patients after they complete their chemotherapy. Um, and it, it looked like you, you're at least looking at about a 10% benefit in overall survival compared to not giving it. So definitely we should be talking to every patient who has an EGFR mutation who undergoes surgery for their lung cancer about this drug. And, and it is uh, something that's already FDA approved, but we can at least tell them now that data shows that patients survive longer uh, in those who receive it. So what do you think, Rick? Well, um, I think that was a very good summary of the trial. I There's a lot of things about it that I think uh, – at least merit some mention of, you know, there's some criticism of the trial in the sense that brain MRI staging was not mandatory, um, which is a standard of care when mm -hmm. you see these patients. So there is some controversy over was the patients who were put on the, you know, um, osimertinib arb, if they had brain metastasis, were they being treated unknowingly, right? So right. not true adjuvant therapy. Um, because it has benefit in those with CNS metastases, correct. and and they wouldn't have been eligible for this trial. Right. But, and then the yeah. other the other controversy in my mind, probably the bigger point, is the fact that they didn't really allow crossover for three mm -hmm. years. So I think, in my opinion, it it would have been a standard of care at the time of this trial that if a patient developed recurrence, you would and they had the EGFR mutation, you would. Uh, presumably give him osimertinib, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that was not allowed on this trial, or there was very strict criteria to get them to do that. Right. And a very few minority patients who progressed in the placebo arm got it at relapse. So I think to me, the real question becomes, 
obviously the drug has activity. Obviously the drug is effective. It's mm -hmm. a great drug, but is there really going to be a benefit to giving it to everybody adjuvantly versus if you surveil them closely and give it at the first sign of recurrence, can you spare some percentage of the patients from ever having to receive the drug? Right. right. So I think that to me, those are the two, at least what I've seen sort of arguments, uh, not against, against the trials, the wrong word, but right. discussion points at least to have. Um, but I think the drug clearly has activity. It clearly works. It's very effective, but in an, like we've talked about on other episodes, it, it, this is not a metastatic setting trial. This is patients who right. presumably have no evidence of disease radiographically after a definitive resection. So right. the bar, in my opinion, needs to be you need to prove a survival benefit um, mm -hmm. in, in if you allow allowed crossover. So that's why I think the trial doesn't answer that question. But to your point, I think because of the way the trial was designed and the results it's going to be hard in your situation as mm -hmm. a medical oncologist to recommend against it in, yeah. in patients that meet this criteria, despite those caveats. And I think what's hard, too, is we, you have the clinical stages are um, anywhere from 1B to 3A, and you have patients um, who possibly in the 1B group who you wouldn't recommend chemotherapy to postoperatively there's select high-risk criteria for 1B. And I, I presume that the trial looked at those high-risk factors for the 1B population. But um, there, the, the, also, the other issue is that Tegrisso was given sometimes in patients who never received chemotherapy, that chemotherapy was not mandated to complete four cycles before starting Tegrisso, that um, I think providers had the option of if, if they thought it was too high risk or the patients, you know, had poor tolerance that they could then start to grisso early before completing four cycles of platinum-based chemotherapy. So, uh, you know, I think y you have patients that maybe, you know, receive chemo who you, you wouldn't strongly advise them to get chemo. And then you have patients who didn't complete their four cycles of chemo and went on to grisso. Um, and so I think... I'd like to have a trial showing, okay, if we're going to offer this to all 1B, uh, stage 1B patients, there's a clear benefit there because I don't think this trial was powered to show that. It, it's got powered to show that there is a benefit in the whole group, but not in the, the subgroups of 1B, you know, 2A, 2B. So um, it's a little bit hard to interpret because the confidence intervals for those lower stage groups um you know, were wide and, and, and you can't make a definitive, uh, you know, statement that it benefits all patients in those stage groups. So, you know, I think this is something you just talk to patients about and talk about the toxicity of the treatment. They have to stay on it a year. It's an oral therapy. It's not a cheap therapy. It's very, very expensive, uh, probably more than $15,000 a month. Um, and you hope that they have good insurance coverage and prescription drug coverage that can cover a majority of that. But, you know, certainly you have to talk to patients about all those factors when presenting it to them. But, uh, but the long awaited overall survival data is out there and shows at least about a 10, 12% benefit. So we'll move on from there. All right. Um, any trial that piqued your interest that 
well, you, I think you liked reading about from from the, the ASCO. The one that uh, I think, at least on the radiation side, that got publicity was the prospect trial. Yes, the rectal cancer trial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, it led to some headlines that the the New York Times had to edit in real time because they, you know, I won't say I don't know if mistakenly is the right word, but. Put yeah. out some headlines that were misleading, shall we say the least? Um, I think that's right. A but, lot of mis- misleading uh, information, and that they had to edit, you know, within a day of publishing, which is usually not a good sign. Um, but basically, for the listeners, this was a trial of patients with very specific type of rectal cancers, so upper rectal cancer, so away from the anal sphincter that had uh, minimal nodal disease burden, and the question was. Now, for those patients, we would give a course of chemo radiation followed by surgical resection. The question was, instead of chemo radiation, if you gave multi-agent chemotherapy, could you achieve equivalent outcomes um, mm-hmm. as opposed to low-dose chemotherapy with radiation? And what the trial found was basically that the outcomes cancer-wise were essentially the same uh, between the two arms um, with some patients getting additional chemo out back and 10% of the patients in the chemotherapy up front arm also getting chemo radiation for various reasons, lack of response. There was a specific criteria. So what they did is they basically said in the pa- in the arm, in the patients who got chemo, they gave them chemo, then reassessed radiographically. And as long as there was no progression and showing response, they continued on chemo and omitted the chemo radiation yeah. portion. Um, the, the go ahead. there was yeah specific criteria that they had to achieve a response. A, a, I think it was twenty percent reduction reduction size. in tumor uh, burden and thickness. <clears throat> so they had to meet that criteria to emit radiation. Um, and so the overall results of the trial were that the cancer outcomes were the same mm-hmm. between the two arms. And the study got reported. At least the New York Times headline was: "Study shows you can omit the brutal effects." of radiation in these patients. That was the quote. Um, What the study, the articles did not report on is that actually the grade three and higher toxicity rates were double in the arm that did not get radiation. Right. So as you know better than I could explain, in patients who get multi-agent chemo, including oxaliplatin, neuropathy and other things are a big problem, which in patients who are just getting 5-FU and radiation, not as much of a concerns. So in my mind, what this study, the way I would utilize it in my practice is for patients that meet this very specific criteria, you can have a discussion with them and say, here's the expected pluses and minuses of radiation. Here's the expected pluses and minuses of multi-drug chemo. In you, in what you value, does one mean more than the other mm-hmm. and let them make a decision. Uh, but I do think it's the way it was reported was a little disingenuous given mm-hmm. the significant toxicity worsening in the multi-agent chemotherapy arm. Right. Right. I think, you know, and nowadays, how do you, how do you view this in, in the era of total neoadjuvant therapy? Right. And that's the real question is right. in what we are now moving towards for a lot of patients where you get the chemo radiation, then chemo, then surgery all mm-hmm. before, where does this trial fit? Right. And to me, it, there's, you're going to have to thread a very fine needle of patients that have this very specific upper rectal tumor 
with minimal nodal burden, but they're also high risk enough that you think it makes sense to give them multi-agent chemo. It's it's just not a very, I don't know, it's not the patient population I typically mm-hmm. see. Um, but yes, I think the data to me is much stronger in the total neoadjuvant space. And certainly that if I had a tumor like this, maybe even where I would, would lean unless I had, you know, really no nodal involvement or something like that, mm-hmm. then maybe you pick your poison of one of the two, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to put it in context because I don't think yeah. it's as, ge- it's not as generalizable as the total neoadjuvant studies. Yeah. I, I would have almost liked to see it, you know, compared to that total neoadjuvant regimen, right? You have your chemo RT and chemotherapy followed by surgery and then compare it to this where you give chemo. And if you meet certain criteria, you just move on to surgery. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit, from my standpoint, I I don't think it's going to change much how I practice. I think I've moved toward patients who, you know, if you have a and and we have T staging of tumors that tell us how how much the tumor is growing into the wall of the rectum, and then you have your end stage, which is kind of how many nodes that you, lymph nodes you think are positive with cancer based on the imaging they had. Uh, done in clinic, and you can kind of make a decision who's high risk, who's not. And I think in definitely in the higher risk patients, we're going to do total new neoadjuvant regardless. Those are the thicker tumors, the ones with multiple nodes. Um, for a patient that maybe doesn't meet the the high risk criteria, maybe would meet criteria for this trial. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that that a patient's gonna necessarily prefer to get multi-agent chemo over low-dose chemo and radiation. Yeah, you know? it's hard to. It, I mean, it's. It's. I think if you presented the data they, objectively, I think most patients would not yeah. opt to do that. I would think because the chemo it is more more toxic just based on the side effect profiles. You know, right. you're gonna have more toxicity. And the other thing too is because these are upper rectal tumors, you're away from the anal sphincter, and so mm-hmm. one of the you know the big concern with radiation side effects long-term in these patients is the part of the bowel, the part of the rectum that you're giving radiation to is being removed surgically. Mm-hmm. So there's really no risk there. Um, but when you have surgery and radiation for a lower rectal tumor where you're near the sphincter, what you worry about is um, symptoms of you know fecal incontinence, fecal urgency, things like that. In this patient population, that risk is much lower because where we're focusing the radiation is the tumor itself is higher, higher up. It's away mm-hmm. from the sphincter complex. So in terms of the long-term morbidity of radiation, these patients actually in general do very well as the data bore out because you're not really treating the sphincter complex necessarily like you would in a right. low-lying rectal tumor where you have to treat it because the tumor is there or involving or right next to it. Right. So it's just, it's also anatomically you know, there's some there's some distinction there as well, which I think contributed to why, and, and this used you know older radiation techniques and all that kind of stuff. But even still, I think is why the numbers are, you know, not as not as bad as the chemo, just because again, it's just a, it's an anatomical issue, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is just something else to think about. But yeah, I think it's good. That, you know, I'm blessed that I work with medical oncology partners who look at things as a big picture as opposed to just you know reading a headline and assuming yeah. <laughs> something which yeah i read that and i was like how can you say that when you didn't even yeah. report on the side effects 
It's interesting nowadays how you know I, I can't I can't remember a time growing up where I remember in in a newspaper or even online once you know internet was out there with all the different sites having these news flashes of you know ASCO article updates like but now it's everywhere and and it's like you said very misleading when you're making a statement um, that's that's just not true about right. something that's being right. reported. Right. It's, so. and, and again, it's, some of it's not the fault necessarily of the reporter. These aren't not usually oh, medical people. Yeah, you, but at the same time, if you don't know, don't report it. Don't like report that. it. Yeah. Right. It seems very it's a way to get clicks, if you will, clickbait. Right, yeah. Brenna? Is that what the kids say? That is what the kids say. <laughs> okay. Click, that is what the kids say. Well, the same thing with the, yeah, with with rectal cancer last year when they reported immunotherapy. Oh given, right, gosh, yeah. That, you know, I mean, how many patients walk into your clinic? Demanding it. You know, right? immunotherapy cures rectal cancer. Well, yeah, I mean, if you have a specific genetic change that yields a response to immunotherapy, you know, but um, but you see that and then you get patients that get excited about the information and want to know more. And um, But it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not good to report something that's generalizable to everyone when it's not, you know, so. But, but a good article to review and... We'll see what uh, what happens in practice, if anything changes. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Rick and Danny Show. You know, we actually haven't gotten a dad joke in a while. And oh. when I was at the Beaches office last week, yeah, got a lot of requests. So I don't see I'm his book, though. just going to throw that. They all said that. He has a book. I said, all right, I know. So I'm just going to throw that out Let there. Let me go into my archive here. Okay. Because the people gonna, are requesting. Just, I, his, I don't I know, know who these people busy. are. But. I know you've his been book, busy. His book looks just like a iPhone. Very interesting. It's electronic now. There's no more books. But I do have a couple dad joke books. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. And who sent me? Someone sent me a text message of a of a bookshelf. I think they went to a bookstore and there was a, a bookshelf dedicated to dad jokes, <laughs> which was pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. I think we need to bring it back. All right, this a is a good people. one. All right, all right, Rick, you ready? What I'm do you ready. call an angry carrot? I don't know. Oh wait, carrots do? I don't know. No, I don't know. A steamed vegetable. <laughs> Dang, that's close. Steamed vegetable. Nice. Excellent. Not bad. All right, we have time for one more? Yeah. Let's do it. It's never good when he pre-laughs. <laughs> well, cat jokes are pretty funny. What do you call a pile of cats? A litter box. A meowton. <laughs> Oof, that one hurt. That was weird. I wish we had video back. That was pretty funny. Crawl in the hole. <laughs> crawl in the hole right now. Now Rick knows why we haven't done dad jokes. <laughs> so uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, I think we're gonna talk about some more studies coming out of ASCO on the next episode. So thank you all for tuning in, and uh, catch you next time. Thanks, guys. It's been so long since they did a podcast. Rick just broke. <laughs> Hey, Rick true. just trailed off. We do a podcast every month. Uh, you make to you me come later. here and supply me with coffee. Okay, bye. I love you. Yeah. Okay, bye. I got to go. See ya. Bye, 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 bye. You feel like Alicia? But... Bye, love you. <laughs> love you guys. Bye, 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 bye.